Good morning, everyone. My name is Bob Lawrence. I am one of the Bible teachers at the Anchorage Church of Christ. It's March 29th, 2020, and we are joining each other in a unique way today because uh, at this point in history, the coronavirus has taken over the world and we are in the midst of a pandemic. Here in Alaska, our governor has ordered a health mandate that requires that each of us stay at home uh, for our own protection, but also for the protection of our community and to prevent the spread of this virus. And so we as a church are meeting today all over our state and certainly uh, in many places across our country and throughout the world in our homes. Uh, and for many of us, this may be a unique experience to be sitting around our living room together, to uh, perhaps sitting around a kitchen table or a part of our home and worshiping today with family uh, in our own houses. And though that may seem a little strange for us, uh, for our, our brothers and sisters who first followed Christ 2,000 years ago, uh, worshiping in their home would have been the norm. In fact, they would think of it as being quite strange to sit in a large building like we're used to. And so what we get to experience individually today uh, and as families today, in a sense, is a chance to experience what the very first Christians experienced when they gathered as families in their home and they would circle up together and they would open up a, a letter or they would open up a passage and and one of the members of the family would share that passage in the teaching with uh, others sitting around the table, and they would share communion together. And they would talk about what it means, and the, the people who had followed Christ for some time would share that with the younger members of the family and with others. And, and today, we, that's exactly what we get to experience. And so as a, a, a way of helping your family, I thought it would be helpful to share with you uh, today what I will be sharing with our family, and just to invite you into our living room and for you for a moment to hear a reading from the scripture that was assigned for today. And if I could just share with you some of the things that I have found in the scripture that are helpful. And I think you'll find that this particular passage that we are assigned today from 1 Timothy uh, has an eerie application for today. It's almost as if Paul, who wrote this letter so long ago, uh, knew that what he was writing to Timothy would apply not just to the people in Ephesus, but would reach even over 2,000 years to our own living rooms and have something for us today. So I hope you find something helpful in today's passage. If you, uh, if you would, gather one of the Bibles in your home and, uh, and there together, open to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Now, 1 Timothy is a letter that is originally was written to a young man in the city of Ephesus. Uh, it was written by the Apostle Paul. And at the time that it was written, Paul had uh, left Ephesus, he had spent time there, uh, and had gone uh, probably over to what is modern-day Greece or the northern part of Greece when he writes a letter back to Ephesus to a young man there named Timothy. Now, Ephesus is a famous city uh, right there on the Aegean Sea. It was a famous harbor. Uh, it was at the crossroads of several different major roads, one that came from Babylon back in the east, uh, made its way over to Ephesus before uh, cargo there would be put on ships to go to the rest of the world. There was a road coming up from the south and a road from the north. And so Ephesus was an important uh, trading city. About 250,000 people lived there probably at the time that this letter was written. So it was roughly the size of Anchorage and in many ways sat right there on the sea, uh, kind of like our own city of Anchorage does. 
Uh, the letter was written in uh, around 65 AD uh, and was written a couple of years after another letter that you can read, uh, which was also written to the people who lived in Ephesus called Ephesians. And so if you have time today, it might be worth it for your family to flip over to the book of Ephesians. It won't take you too long to read that book, but I think you would find it uh, insightful to read the book of Ephesians and learn from that book some of the things that they were dealing with there in the city of Ephesus. And so when you read the book of Ephesians, or as today when we pick up this letter that was written to Timothy, um, we're in a sense dropping into a different culture and a different time. But the words that were written to the people who lived in Ephesus and the letter that was written to Timothy there in Ephesus is meant for us to read today. It is meant for us to uh, to, to find areas where we share something in common with that original audience and then find ways that we can apply that today. Now, Ephesus was a rich city. Uh, as I said, it was a trading city. It was a port. It was a place of commerce. But everything that happened in Ephesus happened within the shadows of the goddess Artemis. Now, Artemis was the, uh, the, the goddess, if you will, who protected Ephesus, and she had a great temple there. And the temple was uh, incredible in size and in beauty. Many people who saw it at the time said that it was one of the great wonders of the world. So imagine a temple that is six stories tall. It's as large as a football field with these enormous columns. And inside was the goddess Artemis. And Artemis was the one who protected Ephesus. According to the Greek uh, you know, myths, Artemis was the daughter of Zeus. Zeus, of course, had many liaisons. He was married to the goddess Hera, but he had relationship with many other women. And one of those was the women named, a woman named Leto. And Leto, after becoming pregnant with twins, was kicked out of Olympus. And she was said to have traveled over to the area where Ephesus was. And that's where she had uh, her children. The first child to be born was not the boy. She had twins. One was a girl, one was a boy. But the first to be born was the girl. And that girl was Artemis. Now, of course, if a goddess was born back then, they said that a a goddess had her her full faculties and she was able to help. And so Artemis was born and immediately was able to help her mother with the labor of her little brother. But that labor lasted nine days and her mother was in terrible pain for that entire time. And so the story is that it affected Artemis so much that she asked her father Zeus never to have to go through that. And so she asked her father that she be immune to the arrows of Aphrodite, that she never be married or want to be married, uh, but that she grow up strong, self-sufficient, and be a protector of other people. And Zeus granted her that. And so Artemis is held up as this goddess who did not need men. She was the protector of men. She did not have children, even though she would help deliver women safely through a uh, delivery. But she herself would never, uh, in the stories, be married and would never herself have children. And so many who worshipped her would be celibate. And there were many women, you can imagine, in that time who held Artemis up as the ultimate woman, a person who was not dependent on anyone else but was the protector of others. Uh, it was it was she that was the uh, symbol of beauty that every young woman in Ephesus would want to grow up to be like. And so you can imagine that it was her image that was uh, for every young girl growing up in Ephesus that was held up 
as, as what, what everyone wanted to be like or what every young woman would want to be like. And so there were apparently many women in Ephesus who were not married uh, and who would travel around uh, just from house to house and spend time uh, doing something at one house and then moving over to other houses, not necessarily doing uh, work that was productive or a part of the economy, but sort of living in this type of um, epitomized luxury. And that was held up as apparently important, you know, there in, in the city of Ephesus. Uh, and there were also in Ephesus worship of other gods too. Next week, we'll talk a little bit about how they worshiped uh, the god Bacchus or Dionysus. And I'm sure they worshiped other gods as well. Of course, the Roman Empire held a heavy influence over Rome. And so you have this mixed influence of the Greek gods and goddesses. You have the influence, of course, of paganism and of the Roman Empire and the influence of Nero at that time. But of course, Ephesus had the same problem that any city has. They had uh, uh, the uh, problems with the poor. <clears throat> and specifically in Ephesus, there were uh, at-risk, vulnerable individuals who were older in age, and the most vulnerable population there in Ephesus were that of widows, and particularly widows who no longer had family that were nearby or around to take care of them. And the responsibility for taking care of those widows fell to the church. And that's who we're going to read about uh, here today, are the, uh, the vulnerable population that was there in Ephesus. So I thought what I'd do today is let's just read through this passage in 1 Timothy and then um, and let's talk about what some of the, the words there mean, what some of the phrases mean, maybe talk a little bit about the culture. And then I'll leave the rest of it with you and your family to discuss what do we share in common with this culture in Ephesus? What do we share in common with this first letter that was written to Timothy? And, uh, and how do we apply that today? So this passage comes from 1 Timothy, it's chapter 5. Starting in verse 1, Paul says to Timothy, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household, and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She, who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she, who is self-indulgent, is dead, even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach, but if anyone does not provide for his own relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, 
saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows to marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that they may care for those who are truly widows. Well, that passage begins with one of the most powerful statements about about what it means to encourage people in the setting of a congregation or a group of people uh, called the church. Paul begins this passage or this section of the letter by saying to Timothy, remember that Timothy's a young man, and Paul says to Timothy, do not rebuke older men. The word there for older men is the word uh, presbyteros. It's, uh, it's the same word used for elder in other books, like the book of Titus. It's not the same word that was used earlier when he was talking about elders in the church or the, the rulers or the leaders of the church. Instead, this refers to just men who were older than Timothy. And Paul says to Timothy, do not rebuke an older man. In other words, don't speak harshly or demeaning to someone who is older. Now remember in Ephesus, if someone disagreed with someone else, it led to a riot. In Acts chapter 19, we find out how Demetrius and the metal workers rushed into the theater and they, they brought everyone together there into the theater and caused this incredible riot where for two hours they yelled at the top of their voice, yelling to the Christians who were down at the bottom of the theater, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, and over and over and over again they kept yelling. Well, that's how in Ephesus you would respond to someone if you didn't agree with them. And Paul says to Timothy, that's not how you treat older men. Remember earlier in Timothy, he said the men of the church are to lift holy hands in prayer, not arguing with each other. Uh, And so Paul says to Timothy, don't rebuke an older man, but instead encourage them. Now, this word for encouragement is an important one to know. The word there comes from the word uh, parakaleo, or to to call alongside. And so even though the word in many uh, translations will be uh, translated as encourage, or in some way support or comfort. The word there is not uh, 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 to just uh, sort of uh, say everything's going to be okay or you can do it. You know, that's not the word here for encourage. The word here is to call someone to stand right beside you. Um, The symbol here would be that if I, with one of my children, if we were in a setting and I sensed some danger, In fact, we were out cross-country skiing recently, and as we came down the trail, uh, we came across a large moose who was on the trail, and the moose was walking up the trail. There was no way to get around, uh, you know, where the moose was, and we we couldn't decide, do we go back, uh, you know, up the trail where where the moose was following us, or do we just stand still and let the moose go by? Well, the moose walked, you know, right past us, and at that time, my four-year-old boy was right there beside me, had on his skis. Well, you know, I, I didn't turn to my son and say, it's, it's all going to be okay, you know, to try to encourage him. I didn't say, run, you know, or in that case, ski, you know, you know, down the trail. Instead, I said, you stand right here beside me. And, and what I was doing was encouraging him. And so that's what the word there means is, you can have courage. You stand right here. And he did. And the moose just slowly walked right past us as we stood very still. And, and it, it, didn't, it didn't bother us there. And that's what that word here means. It's called to stand right beside me in something that is hard or something that is otherwise dangerous. Now, 
Pat uh, Andrews, our, uh, our deaf interpreter, who is not able to help interpret our class today, but normally he'd be standing right beside me interpreting. And he taught me once what this word means in sign language. He says, when you're interpreting this word sign language, uh, the word here for encouragement is not the word comfort, like patting the back of the hands. Instead, the, the word is, is to put one hand under the other and say, it's, it's to be your foundation. I am the one who's supporting you. And so to be called to stand alongside is to be your foundation, your encourager. In fact, did you know in the book of John, this is one of the words that's given for the Holy Spirit, is the paraclete, the, uh, when God sends the encourager. He sends us the one who stands beside us, who is our, who's our foundation. And that's what Paul says to Timothy. He says, when someone needs to be taught, when someone needs to be encouraged, you don't rebuke them, don't chastise them. The idea is not to drive people by guilt or by demeaning them. Instead, you stand beside them. You call the men to stand right alongside you, and that's how you provide that support. But notice what he says is not just for the older men. And you encourage or call to stand alongside you, the younger men, as if they're your brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters, in all purity. So take some time this morning to think about the people in your life who are older, who need your support, who need encouragement, people that you can call alongside you the same way that you would your father, the people in your life who are older women, who need encouragement and need help, people you can call alongside you and treat them as, as you do your mother. Uh, think of younger men who you can call to stand alongside you the same way you might a younger brother. Or think of younger women who you can call to stand alongside you the same way you might a younger sister. And so Paul's encouragement to Timothy is one that reaches over time to you as well to say, think of those people. Uh, around you that need your support and think, how can I call the person to stand beside me and be that, you know, that support for them? Well, the one group of people there in Ephesus that Paul is concerned about most, the most vulnerable group and the at-risk group are, are this group of widows. And so Paul says to Timothy, honor those widows who are truly widows. And that might be a strange phrase because a widow, of course, is someone who has lost her husband. How can a person uh, be a true widow as if there's such a thing as a, a, a false widow? But what Paul's saying to Timothy here is you honor those widows who are truly in, in need. And that word honor is important. The word honor there, anytime you see this in scripture, uh, that word honor should bring to mind the idea of treating something as if it is so valuable that you would not want to drop it, that you would not want to lose it. And so to take care of that, that item, to protect it from any kind of damage or harm, uh, or to spend everything that you have in order to acquire it, that is to treat it with honor. And that's what Paul says to do for women who are true, truly widows, who truly need help, you are to uh, show them honor. But then he spends a lot of time dealing with this, this issue that must have been important in Ephesus, where there were women who uh, no longer had husbands, but they were not truly in need. They had other resources. They had people who could take care of them. And Paul says specifically to one group of people, he says, you take care of these women if they're in your household. So if there is someone in your home or your household who is vulnerable, who is at risk, Paul says to Timothy, teach people to take care of 
them uh, as, as members of their family. In fact, he says that for us to take care of a person who is in our family is something that is pleasing in the very eyes of God. But to not do so is to abandon a very basic part of our faith, a very basic part of being godly, and to not take care of a family member is to act in a way that's worse, Paul says, than an unbeliever or the literally there, to act as if we had no faith. And so Paul says to one group of people, make sure that if there are people in your family, within reach in your community, people that are within your, uh, your family, make sure that you take care of them, that they don't become a burden on someone else. You provide for their needs. You be the one who stands behind them and stands underneath them and provides what they, what they need so that they do not become a burden to others. And I think that's what's so pertinent even this week. When you think about our community and how now, because of a virus that is spreading throughout the world, we're being asked to socially distance ourselves from each other. But I think you know that social distancing, which is a basic principle of public health, can very quickly lead to social isolation. In fact, social distancing is only a few inches for some people from social isolation. And so Paul would say to us that it's important if we have members of our family who are vulnerable, who are at risk, to make sure that we provide for those needs, that we do what we can to provide for meals, for medication, for uh, at times to combat the loneliness and just spend time with the people who are in our family. And then the church has a broader responsibility to also take care of those individuals who do not have a family, uh, to take care of those individuals who have turned truly to God for support. And so we first are taking care of those in our own family, but as a church, we act as a larger household and take care of those individuals within our community who truly have no help. Now, Paul also gives us insight into something else going on in Ephesus because apparently there was this group of women, younger women, some of whom had been married and had lost their husbands, who would just go around from house to house. And Paul says that they were learning not how to be godly, they were learning how to be idlers. The word there just means that they were learning how to just sit back and live in luxury. And they were learning how to be gossips and how to be busybodies. The word busybody there meant that they were busy doing things, but doing things that were not productive. Uh, All of us know what that's like when there's something important that we know needs to be done, but we don't really want to do it. And so we find something else to do that's more enjoyable, that keeps our hands busy, but is not necessarily productive, avoiding what really needs to be done. And that's what the word means here, is that there were a group of, of women who perhaps following the lead of Artemis wanted that independence, wanted to live in luxury and to uh, be known as beautiful and strong, a protector of others. But in the end, they were really a drain on the system. And Paul says, I am not saying that the church is to support those who otherwise could uh, contribute to the community and be a part of helping others. But he said, do not lose sight of the fact that within your community are people who really have needs. And do not be blinded to the needs of those who truly need your help 
And if those people are in your family, do what you can to take care of them. And if the people are not in your family, then as a church, make sure that as a body of, uh, of people who follow Christ, that we are doing what we can to serve those needs in our community. So here's the question for your family. As you sit around today and you worship together in your home, just like that church did in Ephesus, read this letter as if it were sent to you and to your family. And as you read through the instructions that Paul was giving to Timothy, uh, think out loud together. First, who are the people in your life who you can call to stand alongside you? The older men, the older women that you treat as mothers and fathers, and the younger women and the younger men that you treat as sisters and as brothers. And then as a family, think through who are the people in your family who need support. And especially in this time, as we look out over several weeks, maybe even months of a pandemic, who are the people that will be on your list as a family that need to be checked on, the people who will need your support and your help, and, and discuss as a family how, how will you provide support to them. And then, as a part of the body of Christ, take the next step and be thinking, who are the people in our community uh, who do not have any other hope except in God for their provision and for help? Who are the people that we, as a body of Christ here in Alaska, can help in the next coming weeks and months? Well, I, I hope that's helpful for you, uh, for that passage to come alive and for you to see that this is something that applies not just uh, to the Christians so long ago, but reaches into our own living rooms and our own homes today, and we too can stand side by side with Timothy and learn how to take care of those in our community. Well, may God bless you. May God bless the reading of his word. I pray that you will be well and that God will equip you and your family with what's needed to be of service this week in his service here in, in our community. God bless you all. Have a good day.